I would invite you to turn to the third chapter of the book of Malachi, and I want to begin reading at verse 7, and uh, hopefully to establish some new thoughts concerning the laws of God. Verse 7, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer of you for you, so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field drop its grapes, cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land says the Lord of hosts. Now when God created the universe, He created, He made a harmonious whole, that is, everything fit together. And He established this universe on certain fixed laws. And if we live in harmony with these laws, they bless. And if we live out of harmony, if we get in cross-currents with them, they curse, for example. The law of gravity is a wonderful law. By it we are, you know, we're here. And if it were not for the law of gravity, you know, we'd just be kind of floating around out here. You've seen how that happens in space travel. So that as long as we live in harmony with the law of gravity, it blesses. It's a blessing. But if a person decides, now I don't like the law of gravity. It's too binding and restricting and I don't like laws. And he gets up on top of the water tower in Durant and says, I'm just going to defy, break the law of gravity. I'm just going to jump off here and flap my arms a couple of times and I'll fly around, just kind of cruise around Durant. And you know what's going to happen. He's not going to break the law of gravity. He's going to break his body. That's, That's what's going to be broken. For if you live in harmony with the law, they those laws, they bless... If you live out of harmony with them, or how they were intended, they curse. Now there are certain laws that God has established for Himself in the eternal order, in the spiritual order, and two of them are suggested in this text. I want you to get these. The first is the law of provision. Now the law of provision is this, that God is the source of every man's provision. He's the source, the provider for every need that man has. He's called Jehovah Jireh, which which is the, the Lord providing. He is the one who provides. Now you may say, well, I've got a job, I teach school, or I have a business, and with this job I make my living. No, you don't make your living with that job. You obtain your living with the job. It is the means by which God has provided for you to obtain your living. 
Now, if you lost that job, some of you have, don't you, don't you know that God can still provide and does? For He is the source of man's need and the provider for every need. Now, there's something we need to understand about His provision. God always makes the provision for the need before the need. Before ever there were, there, ever there were fishes, God uh, created water. He didn't make the fish and then say, hold on, I'm going to make you some water because the fish needs water. So before the need, he, he created the provision. He made the water before the fish. He made air before He made you, because you're going to need that, you see. And He didn't make you and then say, okay, hold your breath a couple of minutes and I'll make you some air. He made the provision, or He was the source of the provision, before the need ever existed. Now the Bible says that Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That means that there was a hill called Calvary long before there was a garden called Eden. Before there ever was a sinner, there was a Savior. Before there was a sin, there was a provision for that sin. For God always provides before the need arises. He is the great provider. The, the law of provision is that God is the source for every need you have. Second law is the law of possession. Now the law of possession is this that God is the sovereign owner of everything that is. The silver and the gold are mine, says the Lord, and the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all that dwell therein. You are not your own, we're told. For everything that exists is, under, is, is God's, uh, belongs to God. He is the sovereign owner of everything that is. Now watch this carefully. If I deny the law of possession, that is, that God is the sole owner of all that is, it affects the law of provision. For if I deny the law of possession, the law of provision is denied me. And that's what's happening in our text. Now notice how the law of possession is is uh, illustrated or represented in this text. The law of possession is tithes and offerings. It's God's way of saying, this is mine, all that you have belongs to me. And the law of provision is represented by the words cattle and vineyards and crops and fields. Now watch carefully. When a person fails to acknowledge the law of possession, the law of provision is affected. The law of provision is withheld from him. So that's what I want to talk about this morning, the law of possession. Now this really isn't a sermon on tithing. Now some of you a while ago when I read the text, you clicked me off. I, I heard this. I heard the... I heard the, the switches. Did it just click me off? Now, you can click them back on because this is really not a sermon on tithing. That's not the main message of this text. The main message of this text, regardless of how often you've heard it preached, is not on tithing. Tithing is just a means by which we acknowledge the main message, which is the law of possession. So I'm not going to get into discussion this morning 
about the validity of the tithe. Some people say, well, you know, the tithe's not valid because we don't live under law, we live under grace. That's true. But could we give less under grace than we give under the law? As a matter of fact, tithing precedes the law, predates it. When Abraham met Melchizedek way back in the Old Testament on that lonely road, he paid him, the Bible says, tithes and offerings. That was hundreds of years before the law. What was he doing? He was acknowledging God's ownership on that which he possessed. The tithe is not for God. It's not to pay the preacher, to carry on the program, or to buy buses. Long before there was a preacher and a program, there was a man giving tithes because the tithe is the acknowledgement that we believe God is the sole owner of everything. And so when Jacob came to Bethel, he gave tithes hundreds of years before the law because these men just understood that God was the sole owner and the giving of the tithes was the acknowledgement of that. Some people say to me, I'm not going to give my tithe to the church. You guys don't spend it right. Listen, you're accountable to God to obey Him in the matter of giving and the people who are appointed as the spiritual leaders of the church are accountable to God and how that's spent. It's not a matter of, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, here's the issue of the question. The question is this, will a man rob God? I don't think that's the main question. I think the main question is, can a man rob God? I got thinking about this the other day and I, I got thinking, how can a man rob God? I mean, it's going to be pretty hard to take a pistol you know, and point it to heaven and say, okay, you know, God, give me what you've, give me what you've got. That's going to be pretty hard to do. That word rob there is an interesting word. And if you've got a lexicon that gives the definition or explanation of Hebrew words and you looked it up, I've I, I got one, look it up, it'll come to this Hebrew word and out beside it, it will say, no explanation. It's only used one other time in the Bible. But if you follow this word out to its root, the root of this word is the name Jacob. Interesting, isn't it? For if you want to talk about somebody defrauding and somebody deceitful, you, you talk about Jacob. The word rob here in the Hebrew means to circumvent. It means to cover up, to go around. And the best synonym for this word is embezzlement. Embezzlement. Now there's a vast difference between a person who goes down with a pistol and, and, and robs a bank and do rant and somebody who embezzles from that bank. Vast difference. When I was a kid growing up, the uh, uh, son-in-law of, my, my, of a family friend embezzled money from a bank and got sent to prison. I, I remember how impressed I was by that. I didn't know what, I didn't know what the word meant. And my, my parents said that he... He was sentenced to, to prison for embezzlement. I, I never even heard of that word. But I was so impressed with the fact that you could do something. I didn't know what it meant get sent to prison for it. Embe embezzlement. I've come to find out what that means. Now watch. There's a vast difference between robbing and embezzlement. Two big differences. Watch. If I take a gun and I go down to the bank or somebody takes a gun and goes down to the bank and sticks it in the gun and the pistol in the teller's face and says, give me your money. That's a, he's taking something. And he has 
given us, allowed us to have this creation that is His, to handle it and to use it as a steward, and we have the right to handle it. And if I fail to acknowledge God as the sole owner of everything in the matter of tithes and offerings, I am taking something that I have a right to handle, only the right to handle. The second big difference is this. A person who goes down to the bank and sticks a pistol in the face of the teller and says, give me your money, is probably a stranger, known to nobody there. Maybe just rode into town, you know, and going to bump off the bank. Nobody knows him. And he just sticks his gun. He's taking, he, he's somebody you don't even know, never even seen before. Hope never see again, probably. But one who embezzles is somebody you know, watch this, and somebody you trust. So that the sin of embezzlement is the greater sin because not only is it taking something that you have a right to handle, but it is the violation of a trust. If somebody embezzles from you, he violates your trust. He makes mockery of the trust you have placed in him and he makes you look like a fool. So that the greatest sin here, I, get, I hear people get all worked up when you know, somebody talks about robbing God. Listen, the greater sin is that a person takes what he has a right to handle and violates this sacred trust that God has given him, placed in him when he has placed in his hands his possession and tells man how to use it, how to spend it, how to live with it. For all through the Scripture, God makes it very clear that He is the sole owner of everything and He is very, very serious about how we handle what is His. Now, I'm going to state a principle, and if you have a pencil, I want you to write this down. I'm going to say this principle over... I'm going to say it about five times, not all at once, but the remainder of the message, because I want to give you something maybe that will help you, you know, in the days ahead. Principle is this. Watch this. You ready? God always withholds something for Himself in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that God is the sole owner of everything. Now I need to say that again because some of you didn't get it. You didn't, I see you, you you're looking up, you didn't get through with it. I was preaching in... North Fort Worth Baptist Church one Sunday. About 1,500 people were there. It's a huge church with a wraparound balcony, packed out. And I was giving some points that I want everybody to get. And a and guy in the choir stopped me. He said, hold it, preacher. I mean, right out in the middle of the sermon. He said, hold it. What did you say point six was? Some people joined the church that morning, and they told me, they said, I, we figured that if a guy could do that, that's the kind of church we wanted to be in. Well, I want you to get this. God always reserves something for Himself in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that God owns everything. Now, He taught that lesson, first of all, with a tree. Now, God said, now, Adam, you can have of every tree of this garden, just help yourself. But there's one tree that you can't touch. So every day, Adam, he was messing around there in the garden, whatever he did. 
working and tilling and whistling. He'd, cro- he'd pass that tree and he'd walk around that tree and there was that tree to remind him that God always reserves something in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that God owns everything. And so as he, crawl, as he walked around and crossed that path by that tree, he thought, now God owns this. If you had gone to the garden, if you'd been there, and you looked around, wasn't anybody there but Adam, you'd say to Adam, Adam, do you own this place? He'd say, no, I don't own it. I'm just the manager of it. He'd say, well, take me to the owner. I want to, you'd say, I want, I want to meet the owner. He'd take you straight to God because that tree there reminded him that God was the owner of everything. And when he ate of that tree, when Adam and Eve ate of that tree, they were sinning against God's property rights. Now watch this carefully. What was the tree? The tree is the tithe. Now, not literally, but they, they, they represent the same thing. The tithe is what God reserves for Himself in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that God owns everything. All right? He taught us with a day. He said, now, folks, He said, you can work six days... Have at it. Work all you, six days you can labor. But the seventh day, you can't. It's a day of rest. The seventh day is holy unto the Lord. And you work six, but the seventh day, uh uh-uh. For God was reserving something for Himself in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that God is a sole owner of everything, even His time. For when you get up in the morning, God gives you 24 hours of time and He wants you to use that time as He planned for you to use it. And on that seventh day, that Sabbath day, that time belongs to Him. It's a day of rest. All right? He taught us, third time He taught us was with a city. Now you remember when they went into the land of Canaan, did the people of God, the first city they encountered was Jericho, the most fortified of all cities. Now, how do these guys, how do these warriors, how do these people, um, you know, how did they uh, live? When they, they go into battle and, you know, how did they, where were they, were they sustained? Well, they lived off the spoils of the previous battle. So they go in and they'd, they'd conquer a city and they'd get the spoils and they'd live off the spoils till the next city they conquered and they'd live off those spoils. But when they started into Jericho, what God say? God said, don't touch the spoils of the city of Jericho. Don't do it. For God always, you can almost say it with me now, reserves something for Himself in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that God is the sole owner of everything. And when Achan took those spoils against the law of God, what happened to him? He was killed. All right, he taught us, fourthly, with a year. Now watch this beautiful illustration of it. You remember God said, now, you're to till the land for six years. The seventh year is to lie and rest. It's called the Sabbath year. It's why we have what's called sabbaticals. You know, people work six years. Some do. Work six years, and the seventh year they get off. Sabbaticals. They have them in seminary. Now, uh, some preachers get those, <coughs> by the way. And so they, uh, they work six years. The seventh year, they're off. It's called the sabbatical year. And he said, now, you go into the land, but the seventh year, you let it rest. And, and if you know anything about biblical history, 
You know that they went into the land and for 490 years they tilled and did not allow a year of rest. 490 straight years. Now, now, John's a mathematician. If, if every seventh year belongs to the Lord and is to be reserved for Him, and they went 490 years without letting that year rest, how many years do they owe the Lord? Seventy. They owe Him seventy years. Does that number ring a bell? Seventy. Yeah, it does. In fact, I notice in this passage, Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 20, it says, And those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Isn't that amazing? God took them out into Babylonian captivity, out over there in Babylon, because they owed Him 70 years of rest. The land of Israel, He owed 70 years of rest. And He left them out there 70 years until that, till He got His rent back. See, now watch carefully. God knows how to collect His rent. Now, if we live in harmony with the laws, they bless. And if we live out of harmony, they curse. There are two things you need to know. One is that if a person fails to acknowledge the law of possession, those things that he has not handled, as God would have him handle them, will one day curse him. I believe that. I believe that a person who takes what belongs to God will find one day that the things that have belonged to him are the very things that bring him the greatest pain and the greatest sorrow. The second thing we need to know is this. You say, well, what about these fellows that, that do not acknowledge God as the sole owner of everything? They're getting along fine. Listen, God knows how to collect his rent. And one of these days, it may be on the other side, he will collect his rent. Now, here's the application of all of this. God says, test me in this. Now, what he means is this. He said, prove my integrity. Prove the validity of these laws. Prove it if it's not, see if it's true. You can experience the proof of it. Just live in harmony to the law of possession and see if it. It's not true that the law of provision will not, will not bring blessing to your life. That's why Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given to you, pressed down, running over, shaken together. Just test it and see. Have you ever asked God for money? This is yes, and this is not. I, I, I'll go ahead and, and confess so that you can feel free. I have. I've asked God for money. Not to buy a Cadillac or anything, or you know, or a new Mercedes, or a, or get a new suit or anything like. I have, but I have had where times where times got a little tough, you know, and I had a mortgage due, and a payment due, and I've said, Lord, I'm I'm going to have to have some help. And there have been times when God has come through just in the nick of time. Isn't that true? Most of us, is, is that right? I mean, in this church, God has just come through and provided. In the, in the nick of time. 
You ever wonder where God got that money? I mean, one day is just there was this provision. You, you ever remember? You ever wonder where He got that money? Did He send an angel into the Denver Mint and you know get you some? Let me tell you where He got that money. He got it from you, and He got it from me. This is what happens. True story. God comes to us and He says, we feel this impression down deep inside. He says, hey, I want you to give here. I, I've, I've had that happen. So if you, I want you to give. And, and, and I, I, I want you to give this much. And I felt in my heart, hey, I don't know whether I want to do that or not. i got bills to pay my own. Or the church is having a, you know, an offering. I said, wow, I mean, they're always asking for money down there. And I get this impression. And, and God says, I want you to give. And he comes to you, he says, I want you to give 40. And he comes to him, he says, I want you to give 60. He's better off than you, you know. What right does God have to ask me to give that money? What right does he have to do that? By the right of the fact that he owns everything that I have. That's what right he has. He has a right to ask me to give because it's his in the first place. Amen? And, you know, he's just saying to me, I just want you to kind of redistribute the wealth a little here. Now, now watch this, this carefully. This is so important for us to get. If I live in harmony with the law of possession, and I say, okay, God, you want me to do that? I'll do it. Then that gives me the right to ask God for something in prayer. But if I don't obey God when I'm impressed in that area, then I don't have a right to ask Him for anything. Why? Because I am asking Him in prayer to do something I have denied in practice that He has the right to do. You see that? I'm asking Him to do something in prayer that I've already said in practice He doesn't have the right to do. But if I'm saying to God, I believe that you own everything, you just lead me and I'll do with it what you want me to do with it, then I have a right to ask God then to meet my need when the need arises. It's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Now here's the summation of it all. I guess you wonder why I read verse 7 of this text. The reason I read verse 7 is this. God said, I want you to return. And they said, how can we return? How do we return? And God didn't answer them with, a, with an answer. He answered them with a question. He answered them, will a man rob God? Because the implication is this, that the way to return to the Lord is not just saying, oh, I feel terrible about what I've done. I'm so sorry. And I cry a little bit. The way to return to the Lord is to begin to obey the law of God. The way to return to the Lord is to begin to do what we know we ought to do. That's the way you return to the Lord. And when you begin to, re to do the law that He has established, begin to live the precept He has established, then you have returned. Then you have returned. Now, what I want you to do now is this. I want you to get mad at me or anything. What I want you to do is this. I said this in the first service. I just want you to right now in your heart to ask God what He wants you to do about this invitation. And to ask God to help you to know 
if you really, at the depth of your being, recognize Him and acknowledge Him as the authority of your life. That means how I use my time, how I raise my family, how I operate my business, how I do my church, etc. Am I really, at the depth of my being, acknowledging God as my authority? Would you do that? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that we can test and prove that what You say is really true. And we have. We have seen God as we have, in our better moments, submitted to Your absolute authority over everything. We have seen You work in us miracles of provision and care and love. And we have seen it also true that when we violate the law of possession, we have a hard time with our provision. Lord, I pray right now that those who hear this voice and hear this prophet, hear this word, would acknowledge at the heart, the depth of their being, that God is really God, Jesus is really Lord over attitudes, over habits, over possessions, over time, over the way I think, the way we think. I pray this for Jesus' sake and for His kingdom's glory, whose name I pray. Now, there are three invitations. One invitation is to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. To come in an attitude of submission to say, I want to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I want to let Him be my Savior and Lord. An invitation this morning to come and say, Hey, I want at the the heart of my life that God be the sole authority there. How I live, how I think, how I spend my time. Or there may be some who need to come this morning to join the church. God is impressed on you in this moment. Hey, you need to get your life there. Serve the Lord there. Be obedient at that point. And God will make provision through the church to bless your life. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.